Attackers are increasingly compromising commoditized internet-connected devices to serve as attack launchpads. Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor with Information Security Media Group. And to talk about these attacks, I'm speaking with Akamai's Mike Smith, the Security CTO for Asia Pacific Japan. Mike, thanks for joining me today. All right, thank you. Are these Mirai botnet attacks, for example, that we've been seeing a new phenomenon? So some pieces of it are new, but let me start with the fact that it's not just Mirai. There are other bots that are out there because usually with things like this, once somebody proves that it can be done, then everybody's got to go try it. Mirai was the first that came public. And the interesting thing to me is that for a number of years now, we're talking three or four years that I know of, security researchers have been saying, hey, this is possible. IoT devices could start attacking things. And they would also provide the example of, well, they could be used for DDoS. And everybody kind of said, eh. You know, I almost looked at it and said, look, like a lot of people are spinning hype around it, generating a lot of publicity, but we have yet to see any large attacks. Okay. Well, that's changed. Now people have built a bot. They are several bots. They are conducting DDoS attacks with that bot. So yeah, that has actually realized itself. But they've been saying that also about mobile devices. You know, mobile devices will participate in DDoSs. And I haven't really seen a lot of that happening. So when we relate this to what's come previously, how much do you compare it to the DDoS attacks that we saw, like the Operation Ababil attacks? Those compromised PHP servers and used them as attack Mm -hmm. launchpads. It seems like there's a bit of a similar operating philosophy there. There is to a point, which is find devices that are out there that are publicly accessible, stick a toolkit on them, and then start sending them attack scripts. So in that case, yes, there is a similarity. From the defense perspective, it's fairly the same in that you want to create a feedback loop when you receive an attack, and there are lots of mitigation providers out there, even large infrastructure operators. But where you receive an attack, you want to generate a list of the sources along with the date time stamp that they were seen and get that into a mitigation workflow to get the service provider responsible for that IP address to, to clean it up. Okay? Now, in the case of Ababel, A lot of times we were looking at virtual private servers where there were web servers. So you're talking to people that run, um, you know, they run a single server with multiple virtual hosts on it. And so it was kind of a different person that you talk to. Where with Mirai, because it's usually devices that are on top of a broadband network, you're actually talking to the network provider or the ISP, right? But a similar kind of concept. Now, from the defender side, you have to operate, and it sounds like a hyperbole, but it's the way that we're operating, which is you have to assume that the attackers have an unlimited supply of machines that they can compromise. In, you know, a robot, you could still build another robot. We put in some roadblocks to keep that from being as fast, but you could still do that. Only now you'd go look for unmanaged devices that you can compromise to turn into another Mirai. And just to define robot. So, oh yeah, so Brobot was the compromised content management systems, usually running something PHP that was used during the operation of Bobble attacks. The source code for Mirai has been released. What does this portend for the future? Can anyone who wants to roll their own IoT botnet now do so, like we saw when the Zeus source code was released with Banking Trojans? Yeah, definitely, I think so. 
anytime you have source code released, it's open source, right? So everybody else will grab it, use it. It helps researchers to look at how it works, how it functions, what attack payloads it has, but it also helps other attackers modify it and build their own version. So I think we'll see that, and we'll see that as the base for quite a few other bots or variations of that bot. What are the long-term strategies for dealing with such things as IoT-based botnets? In an ideal world, would we be updating our internet protocols so that it would be easier to dump what was found to be attack traffic, for example? And what do we do until we get there? Um, so there's a variety of things. Um, understand first that success in this world is very not sexy. Okay, so a device wakes up at three in the morning, reaches out to a server, notices that there's new firmware, downloads it, installs it. There's no user interaction. Um, the big problem there is doing it at scale. Okay, but patch management, network device management, that's been around for decades. That's relatively boring, but it still needs to happen. However, a lot of people know how to do it. The device manufacturers need to start doing that. Number two is devices that are unmanaged, unmaintained. A lot of devices, even home routers, and we've seen home routers be compromised and using bots like this, but home routers are made to be installed, used for a certain amount of lifespan, and then replaced with something. So the problem is, if you think back to Windows XP, right? When, when everybody did an end of life on Windows XP and there were still people that were relying on that for critical applications. And so they were able to get extended to support out to a particular time span. Well, these devices, when they reach the end of their life and they become unsupported by the manufacturer, they're still versions of them that are out there installed in places where the user doesn't really have an incentive to decommission that device. So that's kind of the second issue. And then the third issue is getting indications of an attack back to the responsible ISP to do cleanup. And that will prove to be the biggest problem, um, at least for the community in general, because if you have to do like what we're doing in Singapore now, which is sending out the tech support people to folks' homes to find devices that we're attacking, that takes a lot of manpower. It takes a lot of resources to do. And if it takes manpower or labor hours to do, it's not going to happen fast and it's not going to happen cheaply. So carriers need to have better solutions to actually deal with that. It might be mitigation inside of their network. So a typical thing that's out there, you can send users that are on the list for attacking things and send them to a mitigation page to help them clean up their IT systems before you bring them back online and they can send traffic normally. So things like that are what's called for. Even, I know some broadband providers used to do this in the United States, but I haven't seen it a lot lately, which is restricting users from running servers on their home broadband connection. So it used to be, you know, back in the early 2000s, if you wanted to set up your own gaming server or even your own web server, especially your own email server, you couldn't do that because the ISP would block the incoming traffic. So they'd operate basically a, a access control list to block all inbound SMTP traffic or web traffic. It seems like for the most part, they've stopped doing that. But maybe that needs to get addressed again and start blocking that. 
yeah, it's a pain, right? Because I personally like having things that are at home that are connected that I can access anywhere. But maybe that's a community health issue that needs to get addressed. Mike, thanks very much for your insights today. All right. Thank you. We've been discussing DDoS mitigation and the future of DDoS attacks. For ISMG, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.